listening to All Marine Radio, broadcasting from Costa Mesa, California, on the All Warrior Radio Network. Thursday morning to you, Mike McNamara broadcasting live from Ramstein Air Force Base in southwestern Germany, where I'm getting ready to do a little post-traumatic winning work today. So, uh, good morning to you. Uh, Grant Newsom going to join me today. The Mensa Brothers have the day off today. So, because of my work schedule and the time change, tougher to thread the Mensa needle uh, while I'm working here. Easier when I have a little bit more free time, given the time change. So, uh, Grant will join us. And um, we'll talk to him about current events, implications relative to China, China's calculus as they've looked at this. What the hell, right? What the hell is going on? You know, things we thought were, you know, the way the Ukrainians have fought, the way the, the, way the Russians have struggled. What are the implications for us? So, uh, interesting stuff. And, uh, I saw an article yesterday that said uh, that the Chinese had, well, actually it had to do with testimony by the director of the CIA and I think director of national security, if I'm not mistaken, and a quote coming out to the extent that um, the events in Ukraine have shocked. Chinese leadership, both military and civilian, party leadership. And the other thing, so the the events on the ground have shocked them. And then the other thing that has shocked them is the reaction of the Western business community to it. Now, make no mistake, Russia is not China economically in the world. And we'll talk to Grant about that. And, uh, but... In terms of, is this thing going according to plan? Answer to that is no, it is not. So, um, so we'll uh, talk to Grant about all that. So, without further ado, Grant Newsham joins us here on a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio. Instead of the Mensa Brothers, for a lot of different reasons, uh, Grant Newsham joins me this morning. And, uh, and so, uh, Grant closed my time zone and I'm, uh, because I'm presenting today, uh, Grant is a much more 
intellectual, eloquent, and better fit for the program today. <laughs> so, Grant, first of all, thank you very much for doing that. It's uh, it's nice to be closer to you in time zones and not so far away. And uh, um, uh, pretty amazing times we're living in. I, I almost uh, liken it to if the world had had um, this kind of media coverage when Hitler um, went into the Sudetenland and then Poland and Czechoslovakia, um, and the world watched it. Um, because I don't think, although these these kind of things have happened and Russia's been the the aggressor here <clears throat> here most recently, we've never watched it with this kind of detail, right? We've never... Uh, seen a conflict in which um, which citizens are communicating to the government positions of enemy soldiers right via text messages on Twitter and things like that and so it's been pretty astounding to watch all of this I'd be curious um, I'd be curious uh, your general thoughts about watching this whole thing take place in a way that I think is unprecedented for the world. Uh, yeah, it is. It's uh, something different. Uh, it is like the Sudetenland, but if the, the Czechs had fought back, right, uh, which they didn't, uh, and that, I think, is what has gotten everyone surprised, it maybe shouldn't have, that the Ukrainians have uh, fought. And that, just as it does today, it would have complicated what, Dolphin, the, the Germans had uh, had going in 1938 or so. So that's a big di- that's a big difference. I think also the to some extent, you know, the having this call it, the internet or the everything on TV or video videoable that it almost gives uh, I think a lot of people a short attention span, and they kind of expect it all to be finished, you know, fairly soon. You know, maybe certainly a week, two weeks, certainly is plenty of time to, to fight a war, uh, you know, have everything nicely tidied up, and then we can go back to whatever it is we're doing. But I wonder, you know, sometimes just, you know, if we've got the staying power, you know, for this sort of thing, and if we just don't lose it, you know, lose interest after a few weeks and nothing much has happened, and, you know, they're just curious. You know, I've, I've noticed, you know, with me that, uh, you know, for some reason, you know, I get so used to reading short little things, um, even then there's the PowerPoint thing. But, you know, for an article like you know, 600 words after the first 600, I've sort of, you know, mind is starting to wander. And you have to kind of watch how you think. But I, I do wonder just how much, as I said, um, staying power we've got for these sorts of things. But to... To have a thing in this kind of time uh, is something unusual, and as you noted, the you know the Ukrainians you know making use of it as well. Uh, so this is you know certainly it's something di- different. You know, I, it just seems even different than the Iraq War, or even going into Afghanistan. But, but this thing's different, not least of where it's taking place. Yeah, I thought about what you just said. It seems to be different. I, and I think what what is making it different is watching in real time Vladimir Putin, and he's done this in the past, this is how they do it, make war on an innocent population. That's un, I mean, that's unprecedented. I mean, we're used to seeing 
the quote-unquote collateral damage. But that's not what you're seeing here. They are the target. This is the way it's done, right? And so to me, most fascinating in all of this is, you know, I think everybody keeps looking for the footnotes of how has the Ukrainian military fought the Russian military to a standstill across that that northern, northeastern, eastern, you know, and to the southeast, but the most progress that the Russian military has made has been in the southeast, right? How have they done that, right? And is this operational pause just the Russians getting their feet under him and they're going to lay the wood to him now? Or, you know, this operational pause also works for the Ukrainian military, and the Ukrainian military is getting NATO weapons, right? The Stinger, the Javelin, and, and, and some of the other weapons that they're, that they're, they're getting. And they obviously know how to use them. And then the stories you're reading. So nobody, I mean, I don't know what to make of the footnotes yet. But I think this operational pause lends itself just as much to the Ukrainians and the way they're fighting as it does to the Russians. And so um, I think that part of the, watching this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, playing out in real time. But I think that the this is the first time we've ever seen somebody li- live on television attempt to destroy, use the people, and and target the people deliberately, not accidentally, you know, not, you know, you know, we screwed up the target um, in, in, in some sort of nuanced way. But this is the war. And I think for a lot of people, it's such an, eye-opener, and and I'll segue that um, into a question about China. And China is Russian, Russian, Russia's, I won't say handmaiden, but maybe sponsor in this. Uh, I don't know if benefactor is the, the right word, but they're kind of their sponsor. They're allowing this to happen and defending um, uh, Vladimir Putin and accusing NATO of being the aggressor. NATO, who can barely defend itself, right? Um, yeah, NATO and, and threatening somebody, which is which is laughable, right? They can hardly defend themselves, and now they're this offensive juggernaut that threatens people um, on on the continent. So, um, I'm curious about your thoughts, and 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 starting with the the performance of the Ukrainian military, this operational pause that everybody's saying, like, what? Is it the Russians? Have they been stopped? Or are they recocking? Or what? what is going on? And then, uh, and then kind of translate that into thoughts about the way China is positioned in all of this generally. Hmm. Well, I suspect it's probably some of the operational pause part. I think it's probably some of each. Uh, you know, while... You know, the sort of there's a timeout or call it what you will, that the, the Russians are, of course, getting things in order. And, uh, but the other the Ukrainians are, too. You know, that's, you know, that there's always two sides to it. You know, we tend to think of just one side that's actually doing something. The other one's just sort of sitting there inert. Uh, but both sides are trying to sort of uh, get things ready and, you know, see who does better in the next round, but uh, uh, you know nobody quite knows uh, you know, how that you know how that's going to play out. But uh, you also do have to one always I have to remind myself just how big Ukraine is. 
Uh, it's just it's a huge place. It'd be if, you know what would the equivalent be? It'd be like fighting a war from say I don't know Baltimore over to St. Louis, right. or something like that. But it's yeah. you know it's, it's an immense area. So. Uh, there's a lot going on, and we just tend to focus on that little bit that we get some some sort of uh, footage of. Uh, but there's it's obviously a big place, and that the stuff that the the western the westerners have flowing into Ukraine uh, that isn't getting a whole lot of attention, but it must be uh, a lot of it, and done with some some consideration, other than the you know the the, the fighter jet fiasco. Uh, but the other stuff that's getting in, they say there must be a, just an awful lot of it. And there are some, I'm no sure, so I'm sure there's some people on the ground who are you know, trying to see that it gets where it needs to get to do the most damage uh, to the Russians. Uh, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things you kind of have to just be patient and wait and see how this, this plays out. Uh the Chinese, that's you've characterized it perfectly. You know, they're they're aiding and abetting the whole thing that they have from the the beginning. Uh, they are going to play this and see see how it how it goes. But they want to you know, get both do both sides of the fence here. Uh, they want to stay as sort of this parasite that's sucking the blood out of the entire world. And they're doing all sorts of business with the West and everyone else and buying up infrastructure and. Uh, buying off leaders all over the world. So say so there's that that sort of squid that's sucking the life out of things. Uh, that angle to it, but they also want to see how see what kind of relationship they can keep with the Russians. Uh, so they haven't. You can see that they haven't at, at all done anything that's going to discomfort the Russians. But they've also been trying to act, you know, act nice or act like act to the West, like they're. They really, you know, have no idea what's happened here, and they, uh, you know, are just as surprised as anyone. But now it appears that they did give you know, Putin a green light of sorts uh, to go ahead, and the Chinese have done nothing that would cause the the Russians any concern from the start of this thing. Uh, but as usual, it's the you know anything that the Chinese do, you're just advised to discount it entirely, or or even better, just assume the opposite of what they say is in fact the correct. Uh, situation, uh, but they're, you know, as you say, if we don't go after China just as much as we go after Russia, that we'll be, we won't be doing what we need to do, and we will end up at this, you know, however this ends up, you know, we won't be in a much better place at best uh, than we were when it started. But you've got to uh, give China a choice, you know, either, you know deal with the, the civilized world or deal with Russia, but you can't have both. And just as a sort of a principled matter, we should go after the, the Chinese just the way we're going after the Russians. You think this administration would after having been um, sort of uh, embarrassed by giving the Chinese intelligence, hoping that they would beseech the, the Russians not to invade? Uh, you know, that that's just one. It's one of these things that you, when you read about it, and what I'm talking about is the Americans for several months before the invasion, uh, having given the Chinese, you know, had urgent meetings with the top level of the, the Chinese, whatever, and showing them our intelligence that showed that the Russians were ready to invade, and the Chinese, and then we asked them to please, please tell Putin that he won't do it, that he shouldn't invade. And the Chinese 
apparently went and told Putin that the Americans, this is what they've got on you. They're trying to split you and us. Uh, so, you know, we're your best friends. So we're going to tell you what these Americans are telling us in secret. And, you know, when you read about this thing, you know, for a, a minute, you, you think, you know, we deserve to lose if these are the kind of people running the show on our side. Now, this is one of these things that is it's beyond stupid. Uh, I'm not sure what you could use idiotic or moronic or whichever combination of words you like. But it's one of those things that is just jaw dropping that there are people who thought that this was a good idea. Uh, so, you know, we, if you look at this as a is Russia, the, the bad guys, the only bad guys, and you don't look at China uh, and apply pressure on the PRC as well. As I said, give them that choice. Uh, you're either with the civilized world or you're not. And if you're not, you'll be treated like Russia, uh, as should have been done earlier, if, you know, given you know, concentration camps, squashing Hong Kong, taking organs out of live prisoners. Uh, but so if we don't, don't consider it, uh, Russia and China as a package, uh, then I don't think we're going to be entirely satisfied with whatever outcome there is. And we're going to find uh, that it, somehow, if we're lucky enough to put Russia in its box, that China is going to be, you know, causing us even more trouble uh, than the Russians have. Oh, and at the same time, we're, of course, uh, eager to get the Russians to help us with Iran uh, and climate change. So I, you know, uh, sort of I'm at a loss for the, uh, yeah, the, the proper word for sort yeah, of, uh, stupidity. The calculus is uh, stunning when you, you throw that in the middle of it. So so we're asking these people for help. You know, did your mother not tell you be careful, you know, who you run around with, lest it, you know, lest you compromise yourself? Um, I, one of the things that um, has been a lot of articles written about how this re Western response, kind of G7 response, has probably taken the Chinese very much off guard. Um, and I think it's it's it surprised most of the world in terms of um, the way not only the, the the nations of the West but the businesses of the West have uh, have economically um, isolated uh, Russia or at least attempted to. And so when you, when you see you know Visa, Mastercard, American Express all saying we have shut down our operations. You know the banks in Russia are closed. I mean, I I, I can only imagine they're they're terrified to open the Russian stock market. You know, because people will look at those statements <laughs> yeah. and go, "Oh my God, what has happened?" And um and then you see McDonald's shutting down, Kentucky Fried Chicken shutting down of all things, um and you see that, and so the calculus of China, as it looks at Taiwan, I mean, they probably had a few very interesting discussions about miscalculating the resolve of the West should somebody cross the line that Vladimir Putin crossed. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about that, and to include, you know, a, a Chinese statement I think yesterday was uh, they warned the United States not to attempt to form NATO in the Western Pacific. And I think that that, that horse is already out of the uh, stable, okay? I, you know, to me... If the if the if the free nations of the Western Pacific, and it's uh, timely that 
uh, the, the Korean election, the South Korean election was yesterday. If those free nations don't take the lesson out of this, that it is it is peace through strength, strength equals deterrence, then then they're idiots, right? And I don't think you're going to have to push them because Australia already in the, in the confrontation mode with China, you know, and then. What uh, just after this happened a couple weeks ago, you had, you know, former Prime Minister of Japan Abe saying, maybe it's uh, time that we rethought American nuclear weapons on Japanese soil, you know, and this whole idea of strategic ambiguity relative to Taiwan. Maybe it's time for that to go away too. So historical things that you've never seen. So um, talk about the Chinese, quote unquote, um, calculus being shocked at the response to this. And, uh, and and your thoughts on that, as well as uh, uh, NATO in the Western Pacific, which people have been working on for a long time, but it seems like maybe we've hit a tipping point with that. Hmm. Yeah, I think the, the Chinese are, you know, were certainly surprised, I think, at what, what they saw, you know, m- mostly, I'd say, in, the U- in terms of the Ukrainian response. I think the lack of Russian immediate success uh, and particularly the, the European response, and I would say even the American response uh, to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that had to throw off the Chinese a bit. You know, it, it, you know, it threw me off. I didn't expect you know, anywhere near this much spine uh, uh, that we've seen on, from anybody. Uh, so the, the Chinese will see that because, you know, when they were, when they think about going after Taiwan, they're thinking about something kind of like what Russia had in mind for Ukraine, uh, where you uh, hit so hard and you use your subversion, the, the traitors that you bought off, the quizlings to help uh, sort of grease the skids for you. You, know, you, you kill the, you, you uh, remove the, the top leadership, and then you hammer them with missiles, with cyber, with electronic, you blind them, uh, you get, just get a force ashore. Uh, by by sea, land, both, get it ashore, and, you know, keep pushing in forces, and 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 the whole thing will collapse. And you, and in a, the idea is, in a very short order, you can, uh, you've brought down the government, you've encowed the population, uh, the ones that are still alive, and the the West, the Americans, the Japanese, the, the Europeans, the, after their initial shock and complaints, they'll just take it. You know, except the the fait accompli, you know, the, the, you know, the fait accompli, and uh, wait, 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 wait. You know, that's not going to fly uh-huh. here, right? I do the first version of it, yeah, fait accompli, right? <laughs> nah, that nah, just kind of slipped good. out in your rural nah, Loudoun County horseshit way, right? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, no, I was doing it just in case there's any Frenchies listening in, but uh, oh, but. Uh, <laughs> them frenchies but the uh, the i just slid, yeah, hey that slid a little bit too smoothly <laughs> off your tongue grant that's all i'm gonna say yeah. Wait, the complete <laughs> oh yeah right yeah right like the like the clerk at the 7-eleven speaking really good english all right but the, we'll accept uh, that um, okay but the uh we're trying to sound like he's from new york but the um or from virginia but the uh but that's the, you know, back to Taiwan, that the Chinese had in mind something like that to do it really quickly. And, and you know, just now they see what's happened in Ukraine 
And they've got to be wondering, you know, maybe we haven't gotten our money's worth out. We haven't bought off enough quiz people in Taiwan. Maybe they won't be able to deliver the thing to us. Maybe we could shoot a thousand missiles, maybe two thousand missiles at Taiwan, and they'll still be fighting. And they've, you know, they'll still be shooting anti-ship missiles at us and sinking our ships uh, to the point we're running out of ships more than before they're running out of missiles. Uh, so maybe if you do get people ashore, you know, get, uh, you know, your best troops ashore, that you find they can't move; they're getting bled. Uh, you know, that's, I think, got to confuse them. And, you know, maybe the cyber thing isn't quite as, you know, much of a magic weapon as we thought. Maybe they'll still be able to operate, still have command and control. Uh, you know, maybe even ha we won't have the air superior superiority that we thought. You know, maybe these, uh, you know, the Taiwanese air defenses aren't, you know, aren't all, you know, aren't all that bad. Uh, and then, but even the, the bigger thing is, you know, the... You know, the, the Westerners and the Americans, you know, maybe they're not all just talk when it comes to uh, blocking, you know, turning, you know, just cutting our economy, cutting our financial system off. You know, maybe they actually will do that. And maybe, you know, this would, you know, I'm still not entirely convinced, but the Chinese may have a, like a doubt or two. Maybe Apple and Nike and Boeing and these uh, com companies, maybe they actually would do have some, like there's some level of. Of embarrassment at which they will actually uh, suggest that, that human rights and international law have some importance. Uh, I don't think the Chinese thought there was any level at which that kicked in with these kind of companies, but maybe it does. And so that's got to say, cause a recalculation of China's plans for Taiwan. But the thing is, they will recalculate and they will then just do what they, you know, try to make the corrections and then go after Taiwan. I think they're no less committed to uh, taking Taiwan uh, by coercion or by force if necessary. But this, I think, has to um, slow them down a bit uh, and make them rethink. But it, but it's not the end of anything. To me, that's an that's always an important point to make because we do have a tendency to think, well, well, that showed them they won't dare try anything. But no, they'll adjust, and they. They're no less committed to getting Taiwan uh, now than they were before the Ukraine thing started. Uh, it's my way of thinking. Um, as for the, the Asian NATO, um, well, I don't know when that will be a fait accompli, but uh, no, I couldn't resist. <laughs> but the, the, uh, it's, you know, the, the, you know it, may, it won't be like a NATO, but that's okay. You know, I'm not, in fact, that's maybe even preferable. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, you know, yeah. it might be preferable. You know. Yeah, but you know, Grant, Grant let, me, let, let me. I'm curious about your thoughts about defending Taiwan. I mean, I mean, to me, the defense of Taiwan is a missile defense, right? And in the mountains of Taiwan, almost like creating an Iwo Jima-like um, defense system, where you know we can buy more anti-ship missiles, right? Then they can build ships. And if the ratio of, uh, and, and maybe they can knock some of them down, but even if the ratio that we buy buy at is 50 to 1, for every 50 we shoot, we kill one ship, we can buy those missiles. And it's a lot cheaper than, than any other form of defense. And the same thing with anti-air defense. Yeah, it's been the other very interesting part of, you know, the Ukrainian-Russian conflict is Russia has not achieved air superiority. 
right? And and you're reading that, and it's almost like stunning. Like, what do you mean, right? And so, um, supposedly, the the majority of the Ukrainian air force is still intact. Now, I again, that seems hard for me to believe, but evidently, it's true. And and the the stinger is a pretty continues to be a game changing event, and um, and so. We can buy a lot of stingers and other anti-air weapon systems that we can put in the hands of our military. And we can buy a lot more of those than the Chinese have aircraft. And so the, in terms of defending Taiwan, you've almost seen the bricks of it in this conflict as well. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on that, too. Um, yeah, I think that's what you're saying. It, and I think that's it's been a good case study as to what's doable, you know, with these kind of weapons that you've described and with people who, who are willing to stay stick and stick around and fight. Uh, that it it's surprising just how it can bring a much, much stronger foe to sort of to a halt uh, and, and bleed them. And the the Chinese have got to be worried about that. You know, they the thinking was that you know, well, if they get ashore, the Taiwanese will be so demoralized that you know they'll either give up or we'll just gradually swamp them. Uh, but there, the whatever they get ashore, I think, is going to have a lot more problems than they expected to have. And I'll keep in mind that the. In Taiwan, most of the fight is it's the country's either it's either vertical or flat, and the flat parts, which are just really the western coastal plain, are largely built up. You know, so it's, so there's a lot of urban combat there, and there's not any of the the vast steppes like you would have in Russia, where you can employ armor and sort of any any scale. Uh, and then the mountains are the mountains, very steep mountains, and you know, the, I think the Taiwan's aborigin, uh, Aboriginal people, uh, many of whom joined the Taiwan Marines, actually, they, you know, can, they used to be headhunters and not all that long ago, and uh, they would kind of enjoy it, I think. The, but it's, the terrain is pretty good for the defense if you're in Taiwan. Uh, but if you do have, uh, say, committed defenders who have a reasonable concept of operations, uh, that you can just make it, uh, it's not going to be a start on Thursday, end on Monday sort of affair, and it could drag on for a good long while. Uh, and if you're seeing all this in broadcast real time, uh, you know, China's, you know, as I noted, that the, the West is proving itself to be about as craven as sort of sentient beings can be when it comes to overlooking Chinese misbehavior and rapaciousness. But I think this would be too much, uh, would be my, my take. And the Chinese have to, to worry about that. But it is, it's been very interesting to, to get a sense of what is doable uh, by looking at Ukraine and then applying it to Taiwan. And it ought to give Taiwan some courage. And right. it also hopefully will give those people on the, the American side in particular who say, oh, Taiwan cannot be defended. China's too big. There's no point in even fighting. And there's plenty of people in policy circles, academia, even in the military, who's, who've been saying, well, there's no reason to even defend because we'll, we'll lose. And also the Taiwanese won't fight for themselves, although uh, they've never been, you know, never really been uh, given the chance to show that they will. Uh, and that's been, a, a, I think, is something that has changed the debate considerably. 
uh, that maybe there is a chance that Taiwan can uh, can actually succeed uh, you know, on its own for well on its own it's got limited prospects of course uh, but with some American help that they can make it a very costly business for the the Chinese that the Chinese may think well it's not we're not quite ready to do this yet I think you would be pushing off pushing off the the date at which China would try but if you keep pushing it off there's you know, theoretically, there's at least a chance that we'll get our own uh, act together to better take on the Chinese as well. Uh, so it's even, but we're we're playing for time to some extent as well. Yeah, my my thought is that that window's closed for them. I mean, and uh, if 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 the West doesn't see selling um, surface to ship missiles and surface to air missiles to the uh, to the Taiwanese as the quickest and more, most formidable, formidable way of defending the island. They're stupid. Also, if um, once somebody were to get ashore, you know, the Taiwanese indirect fire capability, be it MLRS, which is a, you know, a which is precision guided munitions, you can, you know, you can buy those for not too, not too much money. And if you have those batteries stationed around your island and they're mobile, right, blah, 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 anybody who gets ashore, you're going to get another big piece of them then. And so to me, when you begin to layer this thing together, and then you, and, and again, the big problem there that, that you don't see in Ukraine is you've got to get to the island. And the whole amphibious piece is, is problematic um, when they can sink your ships. Or they can shoot your transports out of the sky, and so, to me, I honestly I believe the windows closed. That the that the world has seen, and 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 relearned, an old lesson, which is peace through strength. And if you and and if you look at the Ukrainian conflict, um, what is a calculus made on a a a weak West, a weak United States? And you're not going to do anything. I've watched you. And that, that, that miscalculation as it turns out, and I think Western resolve, again, what would Germany do? Nobody knew. Would Germany say, yeah, we're not in the same position anymore, and we're going to sit this out. We know we're part of NATO, but we are, you know, 43% of our energy comes from Russia, and the German people are not in a position to push back on this. Germany hasn't said that, though. You know, I mean, just yesterday, NATO announced that they would, by the end of the year, they would drop their energy consumption from Russia by two-thirds. I mean, that's stunning in a hmm. year, yeah. right? And so um, so when you see these lessons and vis-a-vis Taiwan and you start laying them down, I, it, to me, it's like I, a military solution for that place Um not so much. I just, I just, and again, it's not, it's not going to require, if, if you'll sell to Taiwan, right, and you'll stop the strategic ambiguity thing, if you'll sell to them, they'll defend themselves for the most part. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and well, we, you know, and we can help. Yeah, get to break them out of that isolation. You know, right. we've pretended that which, they, which you know, honestly, Greg, they don't you, exist. you've been arguing for years, right? Right. You know, how do we help these people yeah. if we act like they don't even exist? 
yeah, it's, you know, I love you, baby, but, you know, if I see that other dame, you know, I don't mind if I ignore you, do you? It, uh, it's crazy. And we can't expect to win if we keep doing that. But it's easy to get, it's easy to fix. And it would, that would bolster the, the Taiwanese and their will to resist. And I think we'd be pleased with what we, uh, with what we find if we, we do that. And you know, maybe this is the thing that, that wakes us up. But you know, also, it seems as though in Taiwan that Ukraine has also woken some people up too. And, you know, there's maybe there's a limit to how much nagging we can do, uh, certainly, and when the nagging isn't backed up by any uh, sort of willingness to actually deal with the Taiwanese like their friends, but instead ignore them. But, but the, you know, they, the Taiwanese themselves, you know, that there's more that they could do. So I think this is, seems to have had some effect, and let's see if it sticks. They, um, moving on to the Asian NATO business. So just very briefly, the, the Chinese hate it when they have to deal with a unified front, right. like with more than one country. Uh, so if you can, the more that you, you can work together, and even informally, uh, that it, the bigger pro- the problems it causes China. And obviously, that's where the Quad comes in. Uh, the, the Japan, Australia, the, the Americans and the Indians uh, you know, that's part of it. But then, you know, there's the, you know, Singapore, you just might have a role. And, and if sometimes if it looks like you're having some success, you get some others who will come down off the fence and try and get in on a good thing. Uh, but it's that linkage that between adversaries or enemies that the, the Chinese hate. One on one, they much prefer that because they can take almost anyone on uh, individually and just scare the daylights out of them and get them to back off. Uh, but not when you, you have this, uh, the, the enemies working together. And the, the Chinese had actually thought for many years, I'm convinced, that they could split the Americans and the Japanese. That, and I think given the way the U.S.-Japan relationship was with the Americans doing all the hard work, uh, that I think they had a reason to believe that. And the way it would have worked is they would have gone to Washington, D.C., had their white lobbyists trot up to Capitol Hill and get on the Sunday talk shows and say, well, you Americans don't really want to die on behalf of these people who won't fight to defend themselves, do you? And that would have actually resonated with a lot of uh, Americans. Uh, and you'd have, they'd have been egged on. You know, the Chinese would have been supported by a lot of U.S. business, of course. Uh, but they, and that's where this dangerous imbalance in the U.S.-Japan relationship was, I thought, was so risky, like 10, 15 years ago. And that's one of the reasons we set out to sort of create a Japanese amphibious force uh, was to, say, put some balance back into the relationship with the Japanese, making a more of a contribution to their defense and also to make them a more useful ally. Uh, who could and also had the confidence to fight alongside us. Uh, but the, it's that, you know, the, the Chinese just hate when enemies get together and can put up a united front. And the Japanese and the Americans are now much more capable of it uh, than they were a decade ago. And, you know, the, having the Australians, the, the Indians potentially, and some others come in on it, uh, it causes them a lot more trouble. And Ukraine has uh, sort of woken up some more people in ways that the Chinese I don't think are very happy about. Western NATO, and again, you you said that forever, that the most dangerous course of action for China is concerted action 
by uh, by the free nations in in the Western Pacific. Um, question for you, a point of clarification: ASEAN, right? Um, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Uh, that does not include Japan or South Korea, correct? That's correct. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So so this 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 newer security arrangement uh a a western pacific nato if you will would be a broader coalition of of of, of that would include japan and south korea under one umbrella yay um yeah i don't know with asean that that's sort of like a you know mark belanger like a good fielding but you know shortstop but who bats about 175 uh it, it's never you know if you were a Baltimore fan, you'd get it. But the uh, it yeah ASEAN for those of you lived. for those of you who don't know about the blade as he, as he was known <laughs> in his career, Mark Belanger was uh, back in the days when these kind of guys populated Major League Baseball. He was uh, he was a great shortstop for Baltimore uh, defensively, but uh, he didn't scare anybody when he walked up to, to the plate with a bat and. Uh, I've done this program for almost six years. That is the first Mark Belanger reference <laughs> ever. So uh, congratulations. But I watched him, and uh, as they, my dad being a Major League Baseball, the compliment that players would give is he can pick it, right? He can, oh, fe- huh. he can field. And Mark Belanger could, uh, and his nickname was The Blade, but he could, uh, he could pick it. Um, but back to ASEAN. Um, Okay, but ASEAN's you know, it's kind of useless. Uh, you know, people expect that somehow it's going to get its act together and and link up these smallish military capabilities uh, and present some sort of a challenge to the Chinese. But it's never lived up to the sort of its promise, and uh, all the promise some people think it has. But it's you know so. But you hear even now. The Americans, for example, they all in every public statement they make, they talk about their policy in Asia being centered on ASEAN centrality, and that, that's it's um, it's just it's a mantra, and you know, but ASEAN may have some political significance up to a point, but militarily it's not much. You have to really have to look at it individually, I think, and try to bring in. Uh, the more willing countries into what you're trying to do in Singapore and the Philippines, uh, you know, come immediately to mind. Thailand used to be an ally. Uh, the Obama administration destroyed the relationship with them, so they've moved closer to China. Uh, the Trump administration tried to bring them back, but they're wavering. Uh, Cambodia is pretty much on China's side, Laos as well. Vietnam is the one where there's some hope. In certain circumstances, you might get them to stand up, but you really have to sort of pick your pick your spots with ASEAN. So I don't know that that would uh, in it would really form the basis of anything. But you could maybe pick some good parts out of it if you can get, say, the the other countries, the Japan, the Australia, the South Korea, even, uh, and India to you know to have them do more together. Then you might say you might get the the Singaporeans and the Filipinos, uh, for example, to to do more in a year that's useful for you from a military perspective. But you you almost have to humor ASEAN, at least the political leaders, and 
tell them how much you really respect them and all this and that. But as a practical matter, you know, I, goodness, I can think of 30 years ago, I remember having a discussion kind of like this and nothing's really changed. Uh, so that would just be my look at it. But you, know, you, you make, you know, you deal with your region as it is. And sometimes when you have a little success, say it will bring, uh, it'll bring some people onto your side who you didn't think would would come or haven't shown all that much interest. Uh, but there, you know, if you're a small, say, Southeast Asian nation, you're probably you're not going to sort of declare yourself until you're pretty sure that you know who's going to win or who's going to have the upper hand. Uh, so that would just be um, my way of looking at it. And then you, you know, we've talked about it before. You've also got the Pacific Islands. You know, each of which is is tiny, but if you look at them collectively and look at the the geography they occupy and the political value of them and the operational value, uh, that bringing those people on side and having them distance themselves somewhat from the the Chinese that would be a net uh, a net advantage as well. So you you know it's good to look at the whole map uh, and then see what you know and then you know do some things show you're serious and then i think we might like the way things shift in our in our favor but if we don't make that first move along with the the, the big countries uh, that you know we it's not going to you're not going to get the structure in place first i think you have to actually show these people that if they you know, come out for you uh, that you're going to be nothing bad is going to happen to them so it starts with Australia, Japan, India, South Korea, um, and then you, well, yeah. let me ask you. Here's my, so my, who would you say is indispensable with this? Because you and I have spoken before that in this in this Western Pacific security arrangement, the direction that the Philippines takes is absolutely critical to first the South China Sea, you know, the first island chain, yada yada yada. Um, and, and so would, would Vietnam and the Philippines be in the next tier of nations that would say they're leaning towards us, but they're not going to come till the core nations, um, come together in a strong way and make strong statements. Right. And then, as you said, a third tier down would be the Pacific Islands. So who would you say is critical to this after you get through the, 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 the first, the first five, the United States, Australia, Japan, India, and South Korea? Who who is next that you, would you say is most critical? The next two or three. Okay, well, actually, you know, I would put the U.S. and Japan as the two top ones. I okay. think that without that, a solid U.S.-Japan alliance, and I just stress that that uh, you know we've really got to have that. Without it, uh, we I don't know that our prospects would be that good. Uh, Japan would have no prospects at all without without us. But then. You know, Taiwan, you know, we've talked about it before. I think that is the one that you cannot afford to lose. Uh, Geographically, the political significance of America not being able to to keep 24 million free people free, uh, it would be devastating worldwide. Uh, Then, you know, I think correctly mentioned the Philippines, and they they always kind of make you scratch your head. Uh, but there's a there's a lot to work with there if you you know if, if you do it right. But it does take some effort. And South Korea, you mentioned them. You know they don't get the attention that they might partly because 
the focus is always on North Korea, and they haven't really tried all that hard to get out and about either. Um, and partly they've had leftist governments like every other administration for the last 20 years. And the leftist governments don't like the United States, uh, putting it simply. But that they just elected today uh, uh, a conservative government. So we've got some breathing. The I'd like to think that you know once again Singapore, you know, is uh, potentially a big deal down there. Malaysia as well doesn't get the attention, but it's been. You know, it's not pro-China. Once you get beyond the, the parts of the ruling elite that are on the Chinese payroll, uh, it's Chinese. China is not at all popular in Malaysia, and it's given its geography. Uh, that's a place that, you know, if if they're on our side, it it makes things really difficult if you're China, if Malaysia isn't cooperating with you. Uh, and then Indonesia is the one that it doesn't get a whole lot of attention, despite its size and its geography. Uh, but Indonesia, and they're always tough, you know, tough people to deal with. You know, one guy describes the the Javanese as being like the the prettiest girl at the dance who expects everybody's going to line up and ask them to dance. They can, they say they could be hard to deal with, uh, but there's no love lost between Indonesians and the Chinese. Uh, so they you know, there too, if you make the effort, and, and so you have to realize it's not going to be easy. Do it the right way. Uh, they, that you could probably bring the Australians on side. So if you've got Malaysia, Australia, uh, Indonesia, uh, and even Vietnam's always, they're always in kind of a foul mood when it comes to, to China, except for the, the top uh, leadership who are communists and pretty corrupt. Uh, but Vietnam, if you see if you can bring those countries sort of on side, it makes things a lot more difficult uh, from China's perspective. Uh, and that's you know, where I would um, – you know, that's sort of how a couple of things. It's the Malaysia, Indonesia that I think are pretty interesting opportunities if we, we handle them or handle them in the right way. Uh, and India, you know, have them dominate the, the Indian Ocean. Uh, that's – is that the Indian Ocean is going to be – there's going to be a much bigger Chinese presence there in, in coming years. And the, the Indians, you know, have a huge role to play, uh, both in the Indian Ocean, but also up on their border. So uh, you advice that, you know, you know, have sometimes been given is to, you know, try to remember is always just look at the whole map. And, you know, while you do have to prioritize somewhat and you have to realize where you have no opportunities or no hope, um, but it never hurts to look at the whole map and see what you can do with some reasonable effort or what you can have somebody else do on your behalf with some effort. And what I, by that, I mean uh, the, um, the Japanese actually have a much different relationship with the Indians than the Americans do. And in some ways, it's a better relationship uh, without the, the historical baggage that we have with the Indians. But the, the Indians still see the Japanese as... Uh, having helped them get independence. Uh, and that has, it, it shapes the relationship. And the Japanese love the Indians um, because uh, they, what do you call it? They, they see the, the Indians as fellow anti-colonialists as well. 
Um, so, you know, but, but you can sometimes, you know, we've suggested this in the past, is get the Japanese to talk to the Indians. You know, if, you, if there's something you want or some change in policy or behavior, let's see what the Japanese can do. Have them go first. Uh, so you, you say, look at the, the whole map and see what you, who you can use to influence whom. Uh, and you, with some effort, we could, I think, present the, the Chinese with a uh, sort of a map that doesn't really have too much, um, too many parts of it that are where they find their friends. Uh, but it, it takes some effort to get, get that done. Well, I mean, I think that the major pieces already work together, right, out in the Western Pacific. And when you just go down the list of the people that you're talking about, Vietnam, Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Pacific Islands, if any confederation of that comes together, <clears throat> I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't know what you, I mean, the game is over in the Pacific, right? If 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 those nations can come together uh, in a collective defense treaty, right? I mean, it's this, all this drama in the Western Pacific is done. It's, there's no way the Chinese can, can, fa can face that. And so, um, yeah, and, and the Chinese blustering, don't do this. You know, <clears throat> you know look, if, if we can deal with oil at $150 a barrel, we can deal with whatever. And, again, if, you know, we were talking on the program this week that if Germany's compromised by Russian energy, what is the United States relative to China in terms of being compromised. It's a thousandfold that, right? And so there's going to be an interesting discussion mm -hmm. in the United States on, about everything from prescription drugs to precious metals to what we have um, to our economic relationship with China. And, and that is going to happen. So it's going to be very interesting. But if you can put together any kind of core of, out of that roster we just talked about, and then, God forbid, you can create an, an economic incentive framework for those nations, mm -hmm. too. Um, to me, you've just done a lot to stabilize life in the Western Pacific. And, and again, firmly anchored to a rules-based order, which I think is what's at stake here. So I, I think, um, again, events in Ukraine have inspired a lot of this discussion, um, the performance of the Ukrainian military and the steadfastness of the Ukrainian people. Um, I think have have inspired a lot, and it, it, it is uh, have inspired <clears throat> the better angels of people saying, you know what, we can be at least that good. You know, we should aspire to be at least that good. And again, concerted action <clears throat> with this together is 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 as you have always said, is the most dangerous course of action relative to China, and the worst course of action for the, the Chinese to face. So uh no it's it's uh it's 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 interesting to say the least uh, the times we live in. I've got an email question for you that somebody sent me a few days ago and said, "Hey, the next time that Grant is on, would you ask him this? Um the next time Grant is on, is it within the realm of possibility that the recent statements by the former Japanese prime minister talking hawkish have something to do with the February 7th, 2022 State Department travel ban for American civilians to Japan. They say it's due to COVID outbreak. I'm pretty sure military personnel are exempt. So, Grant, I think this is a bit of a conspiracy question. 
right? <clears throat> Did the United States tell Americans not to travel to Japan because of um, former Prime Minister Abe's hawkish statements? Huh. You know, I, I wouldn't rule out anything. You know, just the way the world works these days in particular. But I, I'm not aware of that, uh, that being the case. Uh, you know, Abe is, you know, how do you call it? Uh, he, he, Abe doesn't like America. Uh, he thinks that America tricked World War II or tricked Japan into starting you know, the part of World War II and that Japan never got the credit for having helped rid Asia of the white man's yoke and he resents that the Americans occupied Japan and imposed a their own constitution on Japan. Uh, Abe does not think that uh, democracy suits Japanese people. He thinks more of a Confucian system run by a sort of a clever elite is what Japanese people are suited for. Uh, th you know, this is you're not really allowed to say what I've just said, but I believe it all to be true. But Abe is smart enough to realize that without the United States and without a close relationship with the United States, uh, Japan has no chance. And he's so he's been able to he's been smart enough to keep his mouth shut. And he was a very effective prime minister. He's probably the best of all of the ones that I've seen. And that's a bunch of them. Uh, but they say that's so when you think of Abe, you know, he he would love to have Japan with you with nuclear weapons, uh, with all of the 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 clout and the the room for maneuver that that gives you when you have it. Uh, if the if all he can get is the Americans putting some weapons in Japan with Japan having some say in using them, well, one step at a time. Uh, so I think that that's what's behind Abe, Abe's um, statement. Uh, it's, uh, the, well, there's also in Japan's conservative circles, of which Abe is a part, but he thinks differently than uh, some other guys, that there are people, including some former uh, JSDF or Japanese military generals who who've been trumpeting the idea Japan must have its own nuclear weapons because that is the only way Japan will be an independent nation. And the, the Chinese love to hear them say that because it you know it implies the U.S.-Japan relationship isn't necessary. Uh, but there are some people in the Japanese political spectrum who are saying those who think that way. But I think in Abe's case, you know, he just sees it as you know something that Japan uh, really ought to have, uh, have access to, and that's I would tend that's about how I would would see that. And the statement of the Americans advising uh, people not to go, I'm not sure what's behind that, but I, I'm not aware there's more to it than uh, than meets the eye. Now, the the Americans were getting some very bad publicity. Uh, in Japan, uh, the military was the idea being that, well, these irresponsible Americans, they're coming with the virus and they're getting everyone sick and you know they don't have to follow the rules that every J Japanese pe people do. Uh, so it was causing some sort of some bad blood. Uh, but for, the Japanese borders were practically closed to foreigners. Uh, so I, it, um, the Japanese just now opening up, so I'm not quite sure what was behind the American statement. Uh, but Abe, you know, what I just described about him, uh, it is, it's ironic because he is thought to be a, you know, sort of a big supporter of the U.S., but deep down uh, he does regret World War II, but mostly in the way it ended. 
not that it happened. Uh, but that said, he was, I think, the best of the prime ministers that uh, that I uh, was aware of. Um, the election in South Korea. Um, explain the significance of that. And as you've described it, the South Korean presidency goes back and forth between conservatives and and liberals. Um, and uh, and uh, that, I don't know, as a conservative prevents... South Korea from making steady gains in one direction. Um, is this another step in that same dance? And now, now Mr. Moon out, uh, a conservative in. So, and in a very close election, I might add. Mm-hmm. So, your thoughts on the on the uh, on the election of a conservative to the presidency in South Korea? Well, it's a good outcome. Uh, the, the conservatives are on record as supporting the U.S. South Korean alliance. Uh, they actually said the, that you know they're going to try to fix things up with the Japanese to the extent possible. Uh, they've said that they're going to not appease North Korea, which is kind of a good thing, and uh, they're not going to placate the Chinese the way the leftist administrations do and have. Uh, so it's a good thing to have the the outcome it did. It was very close, of course, probably closer than than I imagined it would be. Uh, but, you know, if you win the Super Bowl by one point, that's just as good as two touchdowns. Uh, so it was a, a good outcome for, for the, the alliance and, you know, say for uh, our side in Northeast Asia. And when we talk about the South Korean so-called liberals, leftist is the better, the better word. And what you've got in South Korea is you have leftists and there's, you know, there's plenty of them. But within there, you have a really ruthless and it almost is crazy sort of hardcore of leftist extremists who see North Korea as the better option, who see South Korea as properly aligned with China. They see the United States as the reason the peninsula is divided. They see the Americans as an occupying force. They see the United Nations command as something that only causes trouble. And they want Americans off the peninsula they want the UN command gone, and they want to sort of turn everything on Japan That's once the time comes. Uh, but that's actually what you have in the, the center of Japan, South Korea's leftist uh, leadership. And these, that is these, what these people have said. Their own record is saying that, and, they, and this shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, but the U.S. government has steadfastly ignored the realities of South Korean domestic politics, hoping that somehow it's going to get lucky. Uh, it's it's got, gotten a respite with the results of the election. But the you know what I would do you know suggest is people just actually read something about the leftist in South Korea, and it is kind of horrifying to see that they see us as the problem. Uh, but one of the curious things about South Korea is that while a lot of people do vote for the the leftists. Uh, many of them don't vote for on foreign affairs, but for economic reasons. But uh, what you do find, and it was a very close election, so there are a lot of votes that go to the uh, the leftists, and sometimes they, um, the elections are not always on the up and up, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but you do find that when public opinion polls are taken, that the vast majority of South Koreans support the U.S.-South Korean alliance. And that's always something to remember. Uh, but, it, it, but it happens within that context of a hardcore uh, coterie of 
the guys that make AOC look like, like Pat Buchanan, uh, just you know, really you know, say things like um, you know, we're going to transform South Korea in the blood of the the ruling ruling bourgeoisie. This sort of Marxist nonsense. Uh, so you know, we we've been you know, uh, that is the reality of South Korean politics, and we've been fortunate to get get over it once again. Uh, but it is that there is this, say, this overwhelming support for the alliance that is always something to keep in mind. And it's something that works in our favor, you know, if we take advantage of it. Um, so you, it was a it was a close election. It was decided very it, it went. The, they did they do count a whole lot faster than they do in the United States. So they had the results uh, by early morning um, today. So. Uh, the idea that the U.S.-South Korean alliance is forged in blood, is rock solid, uh, nobody should believe that. It uh, takes a lot of work uh, to keep it uh, keep it on track. Um, final question. Two, two more questions for you. Um, as you watch, I mean, you're an intelligence officer by trade and you spend a lot of time in the Western Pacific, but as you watch the Russia-Ukraine war, what do you find most interesting about it um, as as simply an observer that you know served in the marine corps for for a career and has and has had the experiences that you've had what do you find most uh most interesting for you to watch huh it um i think to see a like a real war taking place in western europe you know when you see these you know the the the, the footage that you know it looks like um, berlin 1945 you know when you see the, the artillery going into residential buildings in ukraine uh, which is western europe that that's something that's pretty interesting uh, to see and the uh, you know it's not good to see but it also the the effects of all, all of this on uh, I would say it on the, these Western governments and elite classes that always saw themselves as uh, sort of, I don't know, we're immune to those sorts of things. You know, war in Europe, unthinkable. War between, um, <coughs> um, I don't know, Europeans, just unthinkable. Maybe right. in the Balkans, but that's that's those Balkan people. But it's not something that really affects us. But it's interesting to see, you know, that that, that perfume class uh, in Europe being forced to uh, deal with a problem that they would not otherwise have thought they would ever have to deal with. Uh, that's been been interesting to watch. I didn't also I didn't know the stinger. Uh, I always thought they only went up so high, like twelve thousand feet or so. Um, so I didn't realize that. I'm surprised at how effective it's been. At, apparently, at, um, causing the uh, the bad guys some trouble because um, I, you know, stingers have been, you know, part of the defense in Taiwan for a while. But uh, though, you know, so I always wondered how well they would work and maybe better than uh, than I thought. As for the Taiwan, the stingers Taiwan had until just a couple of years ago, the Americans only provided these stingers that could be fired from a pedestal. They didn't give them the shoulder fired version. And the idea was, well, you don't want to give them you know, anything that works too well. I'm not making this up. Uh, and it, it was insane. 
you know, to, you know, but that was typical of the restrictions we put on uh, the weaponry that we gave Taiwan. Um, so those are um, just a couple, th couple things, is the idea of uh, this kind of war in Western Europe uh, and the, the stinger uh, angle as well. Um, are you sh surprised at all by the way that, I mean, in the last 24 hours, uh, 3M has come out and said we will cease operations in Russia? Uh, Google um, has now suspended monetization on YouTube for all users in Russia. So, I mean, <laughs> that's, a, that's its own industry right there, right? Creating content, monetizing it on YouTube. That has now been blasted. You know, that doesn't exist anymore uh, in Russia. Are you surprised at the way that the world's businesses have reacted to this? Uh, after the initial surprise, I'd have to say no. And it's because there's not enough money to be made in Russia compared to China. Right. Uh, the Google demonetizes people all the time who criticize the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, there's a very good outfit called China Uncensored, uh, which puts on these great short videos about events in China, and they really do a good job. And they're getting, you know, they get demonetized all the time. And so, no, I'm not impressed by any of these hypocrites uh, that, you know, that are doing this. You know, as I say, if there was more money to be made, they'd think of an excuse not to do it. Uh, that would be my take on it. Got it. Got it. All right. What are you writing? Oh, goodness. I, uh, probably something that has to do with uh, um, uh, the shift in Japanese thinking to the point where uh, I think Japan is ready to shoot somebody. Uh, and, and that's a change. And I think that the, the Chinese and the Russians have brought the, China, the Japanese around to the point that they now recognize that they're going to have to fight to defend themselves. And that involves uh, shooting somebody, potentially. I mean, that is a big change. If you follow Japan long enough, um, the, excuse me, the idea of having to actually shoot wasn't considered part of uh, uh, what the Japan Self-Defense Force was about. Uh, though if you ever went to see the parachute regiment, you'd find plenty of Japanese who, uh, did re who were eager to have the chance to shoot somebody. But in general... Uh, Japan thought it was immune from this sort of thing. So I'm going to try to put together something along uh, along those lines uh, as well. And also something to that I'm thinking about that um, puts these really high-end exercises the U.S. Marines and Navy and uh, the Japanese Self-Defense Force have been doing in the Western Pacific uh, lately, put those in a context, you know, pointing out that you know, while you can do those things and they're impressive, that if you don't get the political warfare right elsewhere in the region, that you're missing half the half the requirement. So probably something would be those two topics will be the next thing. And I would say, I mean, and the political begets the economic, and and I think that is the basis of getting to terra firma uh, in these relationships. It is not. Um, simply the, the the rhetoric of politicians. It is, it is the advancement of our collective interest economically, which opens the door to to me, um, the military cooperation over the course of the long term and not getting jerked around on a regular basis. And I th and I see, you know, it, it's interesting. 
a final, final question. Um, is the Russia-Ukraine war, do you think it will be looked at as the point where both Germany and Japan turned the page on World War II and reassumed their their natural roles as full-up round nations willing to fight for their themselves? Your thoughts on that? Huh, good question. I don't know. You know, they, I, um, I'm not sure that I want the Hun to sort of go back to their, their normal state, um, given that they, you know, how they've acted in the, in the past. Um, but it, it certainly maybe has at least woken them up enough to uh, realize that they'd gone too far. And, you know, it's, you know, you always wondered what it was going to take to wake them up. And maybe then. This was it. You know, it remains to be seen if they do all the th- things they said they're going to do. But maybe, you know, and if they you know, if, if they start doing these things, that it does kind of put World War II more into the distance. Uh, I think uh, the Japanese it just you know they've been shifting, but it you know this just may be the thing that um, you know that does it. You know, particularly if you look at the Japanese response to to Ukraine and what the, the Russians have done. Um, this, the response has been uncharacteristically harsh uh, from Japan's ruling class. Uh, so maybe, you know, we just might see this as, uh, you know, something that has, has caused a big shift. And, you know, one hesitates to use the word sea change, or, right, right. but maybe, you know, you just hesitate to do it as a right. practical matter. But maybe, you know, this is, it's hard to overstate, you know, what the you know you know war in Kosovo or the Balkans is one thing, uh, but in Ukraine, like this, in just a direct invasion of another country, uh, this is something that I can't think of it having happened in our lifetimes. Uh, that is certainly not in Europe, so it is that big a deal. Grant, first of all, thank you very much for uh, taking time and, and joining us today. Uh, always appreciate the conversation and a big event in South Korea uh, within the last uh, 36 hours uh, as they've elected a new president. And uh, and also always appreciate your comments as an intel officer on uh, on world events. And so thank you very much for doing this. Sure, anytime. Always glad to. All right. See you, Grant. Okay. Out here. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. That'll do it on a Thursday, the 10th day of March. I'm off to uh, go do post-traumatic winning here. So uh, always a good day for me when I get to do that. Um, Get to do it twice. So uh, the Mensa brothers will rejoin me tomorrow. And uh, Timmy will be involved. So we'll get to ask him, were you president? Were you POTUS? You know, what would be your course for the nation? He did not get the, the chance to weigh in on that, so we'll let Tim do that. And uh, we may have to record that. And I'm uneasy about that because as fast as events move, for instance, um, as I record this this morning, in Turkey, you have the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine meeting. And, uh, you know, when you do things hours earlier and something significant happens, 
you look kind of foolish talking about a non-significant event relative to breaking news. So anyway, uh, I'm still wrestling over that given the time distances between us right now and my work schedule. <clears throat> so anyway, we'll figure that out. Um, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Thank you very much for listening. My thanks to Grant for coming on and, and talking about the subtleties of... Uh, and again, I think most fascinating is as we've watched the events in Ukraine, right, the way the Ukrainian military has fought has given uh, solace, has given inspiration to other militaries around the world that would take on a larger foe, right? And what is the message? You can do this. We did it. You can do it. So that's one. Um, and then also the other side of that is the Chinese watching this, watching the military conflict. One, it's not so easy to do. Two, though, is the world reaction, which might be the longer pole in the tent or their tandem poles in the tent. The world reaction to this, very interesting. And the Chinese have to know that as the dust settles there, right? And I will be cast in their direction as nations begin to reevaluate the way they do business with the Chinese given their stances around the world. So, uh, my thanks to Grant for coming on and talking about all of that. So, on this Thursday, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. I'm out. <laughs>